Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I am coming to you about as live as it gets. This is an emergency podcast, an emergency radio broadcast, not like War of the Worlds emergency. But look, I think anyone who listens to our show regularly knows that in the political world, it doesn't get more live action, this is the moment, than it is right now. We have been building in recent weeks in Congress toward the moment we find ourselves in. We are recording this late morning, Thursday, September 30th. And this is sort of D-Day for the Democrats' legislative agenda and a lot of the big moving pieces that define the Biden legacy in Washington. There is so much on the line, so much going on, and it is impossible. It's literally impossible to predict at this moment what's going to happen. The best congressional observers in the world are live tweeting this right now from Capitol Hill, congressional correspondents with substantial resumes looking at all the goings on in Congress. They have no idea. They're literally raising their arms in the little shrug emoji to say, we don't know what's going to happen. So I don't know what's going to happen after all my experience on Capitol Hill. And I'm bringing in a guest who has even more and even higher level experience on Capitol Hill, probably the best type of experience one can lean on. Our previous guest and our current guest today, Ryan McConaughey, who was, there's no better way to describe it. He was Chuck Schumer, the Democratic Senate leader's right-hand man on policy for for many years. He's inside the room on all kinds of congressional negotiations about how policy was going to work out, how legislation was going to work out. He's now at Forbes State. He is just a top expert who all kinds of organizations and companies around the world rely on for insights into what's going on in Congress, what's going on, especially in the US Senate. Ryan, welcome back to Beyond Politics. Thank you, Matt. As always, great to be here. Appreciate the chance to talk to you. And and together, maybe you and I can sort some things out together. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big infrastructure component of this. I'm going to start with an infrastructure pun and say, you know, that Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, they are they are paving the they're trying to pave the road as they drive down it. So we we don't quite know where we're going and how fast we're going to get there. But um, as she just said at her press conference, it's could be an eventful day. It could be an eventful day. So here are the ground rules for this show today. We are going to be very restrained in our predictions because any prediction we make may be wrong. It may be proven wrong by the time that this gets released as a podcast early this afternoon and goes to air on WKXL later this afternoon. What we're going to try to do is just give listeners some insights into what's going on behind the scenes. Who are the players? What are they thinking? What's at stake? And how does this kind of complex 3D chess type puzzle get worked through behind the scenes by the people in the room. So with that big caveat understood up front, and by the way, by the way, I'll, I'll one up your, your, I'm going to attempt, I'm not going to one up you, but I'm going to, I'm going to build on your infrastructure metaphor. This reminds me of the movie Speed. Yes. Is that a dated reference? Yes. I'm dated. I'm old. It reminds me of the moment where they had to jump the bus across the gap and all they can do is hit the accelerator. They don't know where it's going to land. They don't know what's going to come next. They're just hitting the gas and praying. That feels like where we've landed now. So let's let's set the stage. First of all, what's the issue? It feels to me like 
what's going on here is like one of those Clint Eastwood movie three-way standoffs where, you know, like you hear that da-da-da-da in the background and you've got in one corner, the Republicans. In another corner, progressive Democrats. In another corner, moderate Democrats. And then you've got Democratic leadership sitting on top of all of this and trying to make those pieces work. Now, I know it's a little more complicated than that because even within Republican circles, there's the business lobby is trying to push Republicans to support infrastructure, but they're kind of against reconciliation. It, it gets kind of complicated. But as a basic premise, is that right? Is that sort of the structure of who are the, who are the groups operating here and, and what they have going on? Yeah, I think that's generally right. I'll start with the Republicans because they're a little bit easier to figure out in this. I mean, by, by nature, the, the way reconciliation is moving, the way politics are now, we've talked before about how things are polarized, much harder to get things done. Um, they are largely sort of on the outside looking in. So, you know, in, in, in the standoff analogy, they don't, they don't necessarily have a gun pointed at anyone. They're sort of watching everyone else and hoping just for, you know, um, you know, it, it, as much uh, damage as possible with the exception of this problem solvers group. Um, I think this is a real make or break moment for, you know, this is a group of moderate Republicans who worked very hard on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Republican leadership has been whipping them against the bipartisan bill because they don't want to help the Biden agenda. So for that group of members who have been trying to come together with Democrats and show that there is a bipartisan middle, this by, this infrastructure vote will be a, a real truth moment for them and 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 how how hard how much they can stick by their goals in the face of real intense leadership pressure. So that's so for for the Republicans, just so I understand, just on the infrastructure piece. The choice is vote against it, vote tactically with Republican leadership in order to gum up the works for Biden and the Democrats. It's total tactical vote, total political vote, or vote substantively because they do support the infrastructure bill. Right. For that for that group of moderate, they call themselves the problem solvers. Yes, that is the that is the bind that they find themselves in uh, right now. And they could be put to a decision. Uh, as early as this evening, um, you know, put a pin in that because that's a maybe. Uh, but so that's where Republicans are. And I think that you have, uh, you know, look, you you have now one of the, the things that makes this so hard, even for seasoned congressional watchers, is that you're trying to do a, a, a lot of big things, but they're actually dependent on each other. It's sort of you have multiple dependent variables and those variables haven't been solved for yet. So you have the bipartisan infrastructure bill progressives need reassurance that the reconciliation bill will go. You have moderates who are really invested in the infrastructure bill who say, let's take that win now. Um, and who, if the infrastructure bill doesn't go, are going to be really you know, frustrated. It's going to make negotiation on reconciliation more difficult. Within reconciliation, you don't have a top line number set. set and when you don't know what you want to spend or what you want to raise on revenue, you can't make the policy choices you need to negotiate. So everything kind of needs everything else to be solved. So it's it's like it's like a chicken and egg problem, but there are multiple chickens and multiple eggs. Right. And just to unpack that for just a second to, to make sure that everyone's following this. I, I, look, I know that our listeners are a sophisticated group. We're probably not the only source of political knowledge that they have. And so they're probably familiar with the basics of this. But just in in, in very outline form, you, you really do have this uh, prisoner's dilemma kind of problem among Democrats where the moderates don't trust the progressives. The moderates want 
to pass the infrastructure bill and they say, hey, we agree on this. It's something we all want to do. Um, so give us this, and then we'll talk about this big reconciliation bill. But what they don't want to do on, on the Hill is called getting BTU'd. They don't want to take a, a high stakes vote that's going to make them look bad in their tougher reelection races, like standing up for a reconciliation bill with a lot of liberal stuff in it that they don't know for sure is ultimately going to go over the finish line. They only want to vote for it if they're positive that it's set, it's going to pass, and everyone's on board. On the other end of it, you have the progressives saying, hold on, we don't trust the moderates because it's like that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. Once I throw you the infrastructure bill, how do I know that you're going to come through on what I want, which is the reconciliation bill? We saw this kind of play out with the Affordable Care Act 10 years ago when progressives really wanted a public option. They didn't get it. They backed down, they backed down. And then they were really unhappy with where they ended up. So is that the, is that the basic mistrust that's happening among Democrats right now? Yeah, and it's, and it's also, and part of what moderates have asked of Speaker Pelosi, and she's committed in the House, is exactly right. The goal in this process is to ensure that whatever the House sends the Senate in order to minimize the number of votes, get to yes, also um, limit exposure. You know, House moderates do not want to vote for a $3.5 trillion bill that, you know, Senator Manchin, Senator Sinema and others have said is not going to be $3.5 trillion. They do not want to take it on the chin for that. So the, the goal has on reconciliation has been to get to a point where the bill, where the bill is sitting now is in the House Rules Committee, which as you know from your time in the House, very powerful. The goal has been to get to a place where informally the House and the Senate have agreed to terms on most things, including that top line spending number, including what the tax composition is going to be, you know, things like the child tax credit, energy spending, clean energy, all, all those things. Get it to a point where they've got a handshake agreement that what the House votes on will be, you know, with some with some technical changes because of Senate rules, but substantially similar to what the Senate just takes up, makes some slight changes to that they need to do to get to 50 votes and comes back to the House. So that's a painstaking process. And that process is not complete by this week, which is the week that uh, moderates got the promise they want the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill voted by. So that's where the Speaker Pelosi is in this bind. And the way she is trying to square this circle is, you know, she's, she's putting on a brave face. She announced this morning she intends to go through with the vote tonight. Not clear she has the votes. Seems like she is trying to get to a point where she can at least get a framework so that people can at least see the box. Right now, people can't even necessarily see the box they're going to be working with on reconciliation. If she can, you know, I, I, I suspect that it is her thinking that if she can at least give progressives a, a sense that there's a framework in place that they will now sort of color in, hopefully that will be enough to get them into the bid. But, you know, at this point, um, the vote is on, but Speaker Pelosi has also said she's not going to put a bill on the floor that fails and they need to have a framework on the bid. So I, it, it is literally going to be an hour by hour. And so that's why I think, you know, um, you know, the listeners, listeners this afternoon may have a better sense than we do now. And tomorrow we'll, we may be in a different world. But um, right now it's full speed ahead, but no guarantees that vote happens tonight. So you suggested when we were talking before we went on the air that maybe the best way to do this, and I've seen different media outlets try and tackle all of this complicated stuff in different ways, right? Here are the scenarios for how it could all come out or, you know, here, what we just did, you know, here are the various players and what they want. 
you suggested, look, the best way to do this is let's look at each of the individual things that they're trying to move through Congress and just kind of deal with them one by one. So I want to do that. But before we before we turn to that, I, I do want to I do want to just ask you and maybe you can give our listeners a bit of a sense of now in your post Capitol Hill life, you do other things. But up to a few years ago, you were on the Hill, in the room, working with these people who are trying to hash out this monumental, landmark, historic stuff. So could you just give us a sense of what is that like? Like your, your counterpart, what, what, are, what is she or he doing this afternoon? What, are you doing shuttle diplomacy? Are you on the phone with Democrats? Are you on the phone with people in the House? Or what, what are the operatives and the actual legislators doing this afternoon? Sure. And, and, and yes, it's those things. And also then you have this entire ecosystem of, you know, if you're trying to negotiate the clean energy tax credits, you have the, you know, the, the energy industry, you have, you know, environmental groups. If you're working on healthcare, you have all the stakeholders. So you've got to, got to line a lot of people up. But today at this point, I think it's also, you know, we're in a place where even compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, you know, the functions of Congress are more centralized now. And so, you know, especially as we get to this pre-conference or trying to get to a framework. This is very much a Biden, Pelosi, Schumer discussion with sort of, you know, committee committee chairs on their pieces. And so you're trying to trying to, to condense the number of people in the discussion um, and just figure out a way to get, you know, to what everyone can agree on. You're trying to find that common denominator. And it is, it is just as straightforward. It's just you need to be having a lot of conversations trying to isolate issues you can get to, take them off the table and then just winnow down the open issues until you can get to a point where everyone is comfortable, locked in, and, and at least at least in a good enough place to be able to take the next step. So let's start the rundown here with an issue that has kind of crept its way into this whole complicated picture. Because where we started as the summer was waning was this kind of two-part standoff. We had infrastructure and we had reconciliation. Infrastructure is a bipartisan agreement on stuff like roads, electric grid, et cetera. Reconciliation is just shorthand for the budget for next year. But in this case, Democrats have put a lot of social policy, what people are calling human infrastructure, things like childcare, education, healthcare. It's sort of the overall broader Democratic agenda. So infrastructure, reconciliation, roads and bridges, broader social policy. Okay. Into that has crept the debt ceiling and government funding. Those are two different things that sometimes get paired together, were paired together up till this week. So just to start our rundown of all the moving pieces, government funding. This is a housekeeping task that the, the, the Congress has to do every year. They have to fund the government for the upcoming year, all the things that we pay for. Where are we on that? And what is likely to happen? Right. So th this one, yeah, we came into the, this week with all four of those things converging on today, September 30th, because this is literally the day 
that the fiscal year ends if they don't fund the government tomorrow morning is when you know they turn you know the, metaphorically the lights off in the departments and sometimes um, so, sometimes literally sometimes literally sometimes literally like happened yes. under donald trump for 35 days sometimes literally Right. And then there's a weird there's a weird status thing in D.C. of are you an essential employee or not? Um, so but which means so that, that if the government this, shuts down, you still get to come to work. Right. And right, you still get paid. Joke, right. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so the funding seems to be off the table as of today. It looks like they're going to pass what they call a clean CR, which just means um, very few policy changes. They are probably going to pass that bill by midnight. That will keep the government open until the beginning of December. And between now and then, they'll need to figure out what they're going to do for the next, uh, you know, the next fiscal year. Um, they might come up with something that's called a cromnibus, which is a hybrid of a CR and an omnibus, where, you know, you can do each of the, the spending bills. Some of them they may write a new bill. Others they may say we can't agree on a new thing, so we're just going to do a year-long CR. Hence the cromnibus. It's kind of a Frankenstein of a funding bill. Um, Right. So instead of the way the way they normally do it is they break up everything the government does into about a dozen pieces of individual appropriations bills. So so sometimes, meaning all the time when they can't pass those individual things, they put them into an omnibus, which is just everything together. And then what you're saying is there's another level up, which is this CR continuing resolution slash omnibus cromnibus, which is just everything thrown into a Christmas tree bill. Right. So you take those 13 bills and if they can write a new bill on six of them and then um, they can't get agreement. So they just want to keep, keep things rolling as they were last year. That's the, those seven bills are the CR bills and the six are the omnibus bills, hence cromnibus, which is um, not as delicious as a cronut necessarily, but a similar kind of, uh, you know, hybrid term. I would, I would, I would sooner eat a cronut. Actually, maybe a crawler. A crawler probably comes in above a cronut, and both of those are way, way above a cromnibus. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. So basically, it seems like on government funding for next year, they're punting. They're punting. But we've seen this movie before, and you're reasonably confident at this point that this is a punt that is going to result in good enough field position that in December we're going to score and we're going to be able to fund the government through next year. Well, I think, I think we'll have to see where we are. I will say that these kind of short-term extensions in December are pretty run-of-the-mill um, as, as Congress tries to work on other things. So this is, this is not a cause for alarm, unlike the debt limit, where I think we, we do have a real urgency and, our, and, our, and a real challenge on Congress's hands. Well, that's, a, that's exactly where I wanted to go next, which is the debt limit. So I, I, these, I know these are two moving pieces that are a little confusing. The best shorthand for it is just, you know, government funding is funding for the next fiscal year, like any business or even a household, you know, like what's your, what's your budget for the next year. But there's also a legal limit on how much credit the U.S. government has. That's the debt limit. You got to raise it. It's, it's part of the law. And Congress has come smack dab. This is supposed to be something that restrains us it's not. It just creates a series of crises, which are increasingly dangerous. All right. Right before the break, Ryan and I were talking about the first of the four big moving pieces, government funding for the next year. Ryan, you were explaining, we think that while it's, it's a bit of a punt, it's kicking the can down the road, that one seems the most secure. Let's talk about the debt limit next. This is the legal limit on how much credit 
the, the government can issue. And you're a little bit more worried about this one. Why? Yeah, I think because um, it's a combination of a short amount of time and few options. Um, and just look, this is a somewhat anachronistic um, thing in the United States that we need to, uh, you know, basically give ourselves permission to borrow money to cover government spending and tax decisions that have already been made. So it's, um, but it has real consequences because so much of our economy and so much of our credit system is based on, you know, the full faith and credit of, the, of, of you know, government debt and its reliability. And if we were to default on that, um, you know, there could be catastrophic consequences. You know, recent analysis is talking about 15 trillion in wealth wiped out, 6 million jobs lost. It's, I mean, we are on the precipice of a, of a real challenge here. And unfortunately, there are no expedited procedures for Congress to do this. This is a just a standard piece of legislation. Uh, Republicans have said that they are not going to give any votes um, to move a, a debt limit increase. And, um, you know, they have even objected in the Senate to just letting Democrats set up a Democrat only vote to do this. So and because of the filibuster, they can do that. They can they can stop Democrats from doing it. Right. They can they can stop Democrats from doing it or require Democrats to get 60 votes, which would require Republican votes. And so far, those Republican votes aren't there. Um, So there is argument about whether or not Democrats can do this through reconciliation, Um, doing it through if, if they can do it through reconciliation. That is going to be a very time-consuming process because, and I, I will go as deep or as shallow into this rabbit hole as you want for, for your audience, um, but the, it, would t- it would take a couple of weeks for them to use a new reconciliation mechanism for Democrats to do this on their own, um, and also some degree of Republican cooperation. So at some point, Republicans, if they don't vote for this, they need to at least look the other way and let Democrats do it. Right now, it doesn't seem like they have taken that step. And they're really playing with fire economically. Um, Last time we got close to a debt limit increase, we had U.S. uh, debt downgraded. We don't want to do that again. This is we're coming out of a pandemic. It is a bad time to be uh, playing games with uh, economic stability. Just from an incentive standpoint, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions on the Republican Senate. I, I, I'm truly not, but I could, I could sort of see how, from their political incentive standpoint, there's no upside to playing ball here. And I know I'm I'm using a sports analogy, and I'm literally using the word playing. And this is deadly serious. There's no game here. They should not be playing with this. This is, this is our economy, people's jobs, people's lives on the line. It, you know, if, if, if we get our debt downgraded, there are real world costs to our government and to our people from that. But from a purely political standpoint, the Republican position seems to be, look, Democrats, you hold the presidency. You have the majority in the House. You have the majority in the Senate. You have seen this train coming down toward this station for a long time. We have told you, we've been very clear about this. We're not participating in this. You're the ones who want to do this big liberal spending bill. You're the ones who are going to have to raise the debt ceiling. We're out. So, you know, and by the way, if things go badly and we end up having our credit rating downgraded again, you know, politically, that's kind of on Joe Biden's watch. And we think that he's going to get hurt worse than we are. So why are Republicans wrong about that? Well, I think, um, and, and look, that certainly seems to be the position that they've adopted now, even though, you know, again, this is all covering retrospective. So, I mean, the debt limit increase we're talking about now 
covers the, the Trump tax bill and, you know, a lot of Republican decisions. So, but politically that doesn't matter. They are where they are and, you know, they, they are in a position to be there. So I, I think that, I, I think, look, the, the risky thing about this is yes, Democrats are a unified power, but when you're talking about something that is an economic catastrophe and it's not just the macro economy, it's, you know, you, you would then put, if, if the government can't borrow, the government is now on cash accounting. So it's literally whatever money comes in that day that's what they can pay out. So you're looking at military pay disrupted, social security benefits disrupted, all kinds of things that that have a real world impact. And I think, you know, it's, the risk is that there's a sort of just a general, you know, pox on both your houses. How could you let this happen? This is so immature, quite frankly, and, and, and has hurt so many people that if you're in Washington, you're not safe from this. Well, I, again, I'm not going to get into the business of characterizing the argument, but you can certainly see the Democrats counter argument as well. I mean, of course you can see it. You were the one who helped come up with it back in the day. I mean, we've, we've gone through this as recently as 2011, where we approached what people call the fiscal cliff and it's rich visual imagery, but it's, it's kind of real economically. It's kind of real. So we came perilously close last time. There were some real world consequences to the standoff. And what I hear you saying is it is not worth it to score some cheap political points that the public isn't really going to follow and really understand anyway. You know, hey, Republicans, like, let's let's fight about other things. Let's not fight about this. All that said, all that said, at this point, I'm not asking you for a prediction, but suffice it to say, you're more worried than you've ever been and more worried than you were 10 years ago. Yeah, I am. And that's because of the time window here, which, you know, Secretary Yellen said mid-October or CBO just said sort of end of October. But either way, you know, there's a short amount of time here. And so in previous in, in previous iterations of this, there was either enough time to get bipartisan support or work some other accommodation. The, the, bu- the budget bill in 2011 um, established disapproval resolutions that basically let people vote no, but still let it happen. Unfortunately, that mechanism is not available right now. And so it's a combination of the lack of time matching up with what's needed for the options that Democrats have on the table to find a way to solve this problem. Um, and well, let me ask that you. is why I think it's a different level of concern. Well, let me ask one follow-up to that that comes from uh, actually a listener uh, over Facebook, uh, and I appreciate the question, is where we've landed, particularly on this, but just, just kind of general Republicans saying, you know, we're washing our hands, we're against everything. Is that making a vote to end the filibuster more likely? Is that one of the avenues when it comes to the debt ceiling that Democrats may end up in, which is like, look, either we tank the economy or we do something to end the filibuster when it comes to this piece of it so that we can we can get this done. Yeah, I mean, as a as a technical procedural matter, yes, they could do that if they have the votes. As of now, there's no indication um, that that there are, you know, the, you know, the votes to to do to, to execute a so-called tactical nuke um, on that. And I also think there's a there's a real a real belief that this should be a, a bipartisan responsibility and that it's also not necessary if 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 um, if Republicans just didn't demand a culture vote, if they just let Democrats set an independent vote, w- it wouldn't be necessary. Um, so, you know, I, I think that uh, we're not there yet. It is it is a technical possibility. But um, I think that uh, things before that, you know, that, that's not what anyone is talking about right now is the way out of this. 
So let's move on to one of the twin pair, and it's it's hard to separate infrastructure and reconciliation. In fact, that's what Nancy Pelosi tried to do at the beginning of this week. She kind of presented them as two tracks, so had President Biden. And then at the beginning of the week, she said, well, we could we could keep the promise that she made to moderates, move infrastructure, kind of disentangle the two of them. But it is hard to deal with the two of them separately. But let's let's focus just a tiny bit more on the infrastructure piece first. So again, that's that's the piece that's moving today, ostensibly. How do you see this kind of shaking out? Politico suggested that there are sort of three scenarios here. It, it, it comes up for a vote and passes. It comes up for a vote and fails, which is something that Nancy Pelosi has said she doesn't want to do. Um, or it, it, it falls apart and the vote gets delayed. Uh, do you see the scenarios? Not again, not asking for a prediction, but do you see the scenarios as being those three? And do you see things kind of coalescing in any direction among them? So I, I, those are all possibilities. I think the least likely is that Pelosi puts the bill on the floor to fail. Um, I think that not having the vote is a tacit admission that it would fail and roughly serves the same purpose in terms of what she would want to do, which is galvanizing attention and saying like, okay, we got to make more progress on reconciliation. Um, you know, and I and, and she was very clear today as well, and, and I take her at her word that reconciliation is going to happen, whether, you know, like the commitment to move reconciliation because there's the Biden agenda will continue regardless of, of whether or not the bid passes. So she's, she's trying to assure progressives there that reconciliation is not going to get uh, stranded at the station. Um, so I, I do think that that's the right option set. And I think, you know, again, we'll, we will have to see what happens today. But regardless, I do think that the real push is to now between Biden, the leadership, and, you know, some of the senators, you know, Manchin, Cinema, trying to get that framework on, um, you know, on what the, the reconciliation package looks like. Because, again, you know, the, the House moderates and, and, you know, in the Senate, too, people, people don't want to vote this in multiple iterations. So you need to know how much you want to fund. And you also need to know then what you need to fund because, you know, others, Warner, have been very clear this bill needs to be paid for. And so you need a top line number because then you need to know what tax mix because, you know, there, there, there are different people with different tax priorities in this bill. But I think generally the goal of this package is to make the investments from, from a Democratic perspective, the goal of this package is to make the investments that they think America needs and then to pay for it. it is not a tax reform exercise for the sake of tax reform. So, you know, there are certain areas where they don't, you know, they don't want to vote for tax increases that are unnecessary to go beyond the number they have to hit. So you need the number, they need to figure the tax increases and you need to go from there. Well, we've but got- it, it needs up, oh, I'm sorry. Just, no, but it, go, but go. Those, those, those need to feel, for the progressives, those numbers need to feel acceptable and real enough that they feel confident that the rest of the negotiations will go to completion and passage. Well, I think you've really put your finger on sort of the key issue in the background that people are privately talking about and also publicly talking about, because we've gotten to this point of the, of the show without really talking about Democratic West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Democratic Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema. And those are the two senators who have been most in the spotlight, most publicly out there in terms of having questions and having hesitancy about the reconciliation bill. Now, look, you and I both have friends and associates and contacts in both of those operations. So 
I, I want to be careful about this. I, I'm not, not looking to criticize the approach that either senator has taken per se. All of that said, one issue that has arisen and uh, I, I think has become prominent in the last 24 hours um, and, and has been put on the table by progressives, Pramila Jaypal, the uh, House progressive leader, has come right out and said, would you tell us what you want? And whether it's in the form of how much are you willing to spend or what pieces of policy you will accept or not accept, there has been a little bit of a criticism coming from the progressive end that, hey, especially when it comes to Kirsten Cinema, it's a little bit like wrestling with smoke. We don't know what you want, so we don't know what to respond to. And you can't have a negotiation without a counterparty. So do you, again, without being overly critical here, do you see that frustration? Is, is that is that sort of what's holding this up here that we haven't heard a robust proposal from Senator Cinema or Senator Manchin about here's what we want to see, here's our bottom line? So I think a, a couple of things in reaction to that. I think one, you definitely hear that from progressives, but I'll, I will also again from this press conference, Speaker Pelosi just said she's, you know, not going to discuss her 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 talks with uh, Manchin or the White House in, in the press, and I, I'm not privy to those discussions. But in the uh, but I think what what Speaker Pelosi was maybe trying to communicate there is that, you know, there may be more information being shared in these meetings. You know, Manchin and Cinema have both been to the White House now multiple times in the last 48 you know, 72 hours. So just because just because the public doesn't know what a what a, a number is there doesn't necessarily mean that numbers haven't been talked about. So I, I'm just I, I think the other note of caution on that is that Mansion and Cinema have achieved have, have attracted the most attention. I think that's partly the nature of the Senate. And you know, but um there are you know other you know there are House moderates who have expressed concerns about various provisions in the House reconciliation bill who maybe didn't vote for it in committee. So it's not just these two, it's not just you know, I, I heard uh, I heard uh, Congress uh, when Jai Paul this morning say a certain ninety six percent of caucus against four percent of caucus. That's the progressive uh, positioning, but it's also I think it's a it's underrepresented to just say it's these one or two members holding up. There 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 are more than that, and as you know, there you know there there are plenty of moderates who are trying to find a uh, you know a way to kind of massage this bill a little bit. So I, I think they get the most attention, but they're not alone in in trying to move this, bend the curve on this bill a little bit. And I will say that the dynamic that we talked about earlier about not wanting to take a stand on something and being made to sort of politically walk the plank on it and fall on your sword about it, to use two mixed metaphors, that both that pirate extends, related. Both <laughs> pirate related. Good point. Good point. It, that that extends to making public statements. I can I can also see the argument from a Kirsten Cinema perspective of. Well, why would I publicly come out and say I'm in favor of this if we're not going to end up there? Why go further than the place we're going to end up and have that run against me in a political 30-second ad in my next re-election campaign? Why commit to $3 trillion when the final number is going to be $2 trillion or whatever it turns out to be? Speaking of which, let's talk about the political angle of this for just a few minutes. You're mostly a policy guy, but you're not entirely not a politics guy. And you've on this show before offered some really trenchant political insights. 
So there are different theories circulating among Democrats right now about what is sort of politically best. You hear a theory, mostly from progressives, that you need to pass all of this stuff. Otherwise, you're going to lose the progressive base, I'm air quoting here, and that is going to be politically disastrous for Democrats in the next election. You have a theory mostly promulgated by moderate Democrats that, you know, you need the infrastructure thing because you need to have an accomplishment, something to run on, something bipartisan. We can make things work in Washington, but you might be better off having nothing than going way overboard and feeding into the Republican attack that Democrats are a bunch of crazy drunken sailors to continue the nautical theme in terms of taxing and spending the, the public's money. And then you have analysts saying, I wonder if any of this even really matters politically because all the dynamics are against Democrats on the next election anyway. So maybe Democrats are just overthinking this in terms of the political ramifications. Where do you come out on all this? So I think one thing where there is at least some degree of consensus is that, you know, there, I, I, there, is, a, there is a desire to move the agenda. I, I think there are, are, are always going to be discrepancies about how fast, how big. Um, but I do think that Democrats are largely still in a failure is not an option mindset. And there is still, you know, and, and to that point, you know, even some of the members we talked about are still very much in a posture of their, their vision of yes may be different than some others, but they're still working towards something. So, and, and, I, and I do think that politically, um, you know, look, the rescue plan is a great piece of legislation. Um, infrastructure is very popular and people want to see that get done. And then, you know, look, I do think we talk the, the price tag of the bill or the spending number in the bill, you know, has gotten a lot of the, the debate, but I think, you know, Democrats look at in the reconciliation bill and you're talking about things like making the child tax credit permanent and, you know, improving, you know, family in, income supports and, and supporting education and, you know, um, bolstering clean energy, you know, tax credits, a lot of things that a lot of people agree with. Um, you know, outside of the focus on the big number. So I think that there's still a general sense that it is better for Democrats to get things done and run on accomplishments. Um, and, and then and what we're really debating is the size of what that second package is and, and how much is sort of a core priority versus maybe goes a little bit further than some people are comfortable with. Um, but no, there's, there's very much, you know, a desire to still see these things move. You know, President Biden ran on you know, bringing people together, being able to accomplish things. You know, the bipartisan infrastructure bill is that, you know, there, you know, he has made climate a huge part of his agenda. There are big climate pieces in the reconciliation bill. So, you know, um, I, I think the mindset is still at this point, you know, things could sour, but right now the mindset is very much, how are we going to get this done? Not, is this worth doing? There was a sense among some Democrats when they voted the last time there was unified control of the Democrats holding the presidency and both chambers of Congress, there was a sense that some of the things that they were considering were worth losing an election for. Now, there was debate about that, too. There were certainly Democrats who thought that the Affordable Care Act was too weak and not worth losing an election for. But I worked for a member of Congress who I remember very clearly called me the day of the vote and said, I'm going to vote for this. And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm probably going to lose my next election because of it. 
And I said, yeah. And he said, it's still the right thing to do though, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. And then he voted for it. Is there any sense among Democrats that you're talking to that, look, 2022 is going to be rough, especially for House members with all the redistricting, but it's not going to be a cakewalk for senators anyway. So is there any sense that, you know, we have a brief moment here to get some stuff done. This is it. We should get as much done as possible. And especially if we're all going to lose anyway. Yeah, I don't think it's, I think people are very clear eyed about the fact that it's a midterm and traditionally the pendulum swings back and, you know, you, everyone is watching, you know, like Colorado Commission just came out. So all that stuff is in the air. Um, but I don't think it's, um, I, I still think to sort of the, the previous answer, I still think the general feeling is like, if we pass our agenda, that's going to be good for the American people. Like, that's what's going to get us rewarded as opposed to uh, sitting on our hands. Um, so I don't think the, the politics are necessarily divorced from moving the agenda just yet. And, and to that point, I don't think it's as fatalistic as, well, we're not coming back anyway, so we might as well do this. I think it's more moving these things, you know, again, with, with disagreement on how big, you know, which things exactly, but moving some form of a democratic agenda is still seen as the best path to, uh, you know, maintaining the majority. So the final question is, and I'm going to stick with my commitment to not make you make any predictions because I'm too much of a wuss to make any. (laughs) So I'm certainly not going to ask you to. But what I hear you saying is that when push comes to shove, if we're having this conversation, let's say around Thanksgiving, and we're looking back, it's more likely than not that something will have gotten done on the debt ceiling on, uh, we might be pending funding for the upcoming year and on infrastructure and on some kind of a social policy focused reconciliation bill. You wouldn't put a large sum of money on it, but more likely than not, because failure is not an option. Uh, Yeah, well, in in the spirit of not making predictions, let me amend that slightly and say that if well, first of all, if the debt limit hasn't been done by then, then like we're in Thunderdome. Who knows? Well, you and I will be doing this from our <laughs> cave, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but leaving that one aside, I think that um, if 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 these if these bills aren't done by you know Thanksgiving, getting into December, you know, you then you do have the election year. Maybe people's calculus starts to change. Things could certainly go into next year. Manchin has said that, um, but I think there are you know that's sort of. You know, Thanksgiving, December is a bend point at which this starts to feel, in my view, harder. Got it. Well, I, for one, uh, am going to be, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if eating popcorn is the right thing, because that suggests that what you're watching is entertaining. It's, it's more like, I'm probably going to be stress eating today. And look, I think <laughs> all of America should be to some extent, because this is, this is big stuff. Like, it, it's kind of, it's sort of fun and sort of interesting. And thank you for walking us through all of these details of the machinations going on behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, I just want to remind all our listeners that this is big stuff. This is important stuff. Just the American Rescue Plan lifted 13 million American children out of poverty. And that's the level of impact that we're talking about here and what's on the table for Congress today, September 30th. Ryan McConaughey, all around congressional expert and inside guru. Thank you so much for all of your insights. Thanks for having me. Great to be here as always.